episode, we focus on relationships and how they affect the game, how they can change lives, and really how they're going to help you drive your career. And joining me again the second time on the podcast, he was back with us in the early days at the time, was the director of player personnel at Texas State, uh, currently coaching at Westwood High School in Texas. Uh, and prior to this, right before this, and in the shutdown hitting, was in the XFL as assistant to the head coach and assistant defensive line coach, Michael George. Coach, it's great to have you back here. Hey, great to be here. Always good to get uh, a Cleveland guy on. I love seeing the, the 440 area code, even though you're across the country right now. Uh, great to be able to you know, have you back on and talk ball. And you know, since the last time you and I talked when you were at Texas State, there certainly has been a lot of changes. And you know, one of the things we want to focus on today uh, are, are, is the relationship side of things. And before we got going, you said something to me, you know, it's, um, you know, in this game, you make moves that are, are horizontal, you make moves that are vertical and, you know, relationships don't know horizontal or vertical. They just know that uh, they're set um, in a good foundation, set the right way and uh, are, are mutual um, in, in terms of what you're able to do for each other. So coach, uh, before we get into some of that, uh, catch us up on, uh, the, the moves you made since you were at Texas State, you had some unique opportunities. Yeah, no, it's it's been uh, it's been pretty remarkable, and just kind of the way that the the world spins sometimes. Um, so I, I had been the director of player personnel there at Texas State. I got brought in um, by Coach Withers, um, who uh, is on the Texas staff now, and uh, our DFO is uh, John Strikers with the Tennessee Titans. And uh, when uh, the administration decided to change staffs, I stayed on with Coach Spavadol with that first initial December recruiting period. And, and when he decided that he was going to move in a different direction uh, to run his recruiting department, um, I kind of leveraged some of my connections. You know, when you start talking about relationships, it all starts about those people that, um, that you're in touch with. And Earlier on in the year, I had been in some conversations with with a good friend and mentor of mine, Mike Charlton, another Cleveland area guy um, who's a scout, longtime scout with the uh, Minnesota Vikings, and uh, he had connected me with uh, John Peterson. John Peterson is a uh, former NFL scout, uh, former uh, CFL uh, front office, uh, had been in the uh, uh, the world league of American football or the, I mean, he'd been in, he'd been all over then uh, done all sorts of different things. USFL. I mean, it, it, his career just spans this incredible range uh, and his experiences. And now he you know, works with Dan Hatman and scouting Academy, but I had gotten connected with him. And so when we, uh, when I was, uh, when I was leaving Texas state, it just so happened that training camp was starting in San Antonio for all of the teams of the AAF. And uh, the Alliance of American Football was starting up, and they were having all eight teams come to San Antonio. And uh, John Peterson was the director of football operations for the San Antonio Commanders. And so that allowed me to come uh, basically on the next day, the day that I was no longer working at Texas State, the next day I was driving to San Antonio to work uh, in the AAF. I mean, it, it, there was there was never a there was never a, a missed step, and the opportunity to work with him, to work with uh, Bob Morris, with Daryl Johnson in our front office, uh, as well as the coaching side with Mike Riley and, and the rest of the offensive staff, you know, was really a, 
a great opportunity. Um, and so I did a lot of different operational things uh, for for them. And so we went through that year um, in the spring when that league uh, was closing down and it was in April. And uh, it just so happened that uh, when that uh, the final practice happened and we were done, um, that week, the XFL was doing rules testing in Austin, Texas. And so with the spring league. And so I was able to, through some connections there with our team, um, through again, through John Peterson, and through Woody Ribbick, a longtime uh, equipment guy with the Buffalo Bills, um, was able to go from our AAF kind of practices and then the next day driving up to Austin and connecting with Doug Whaley, uh, connecting uh, with Sam Schwartzstein, um, people who ended up being you know, in the league office for the XFL. I was able to get connected with a few of the coaches there. Um, and then uh, that allowed me end up to get in front of Jonathan Hayes. And, um, you know, we talked about different opportunities that might uh, allow me to, to come with him as he was named the, the head coach and general manager of the, what ended up being the, the St. Louis Battlehawks. Uh, and so it was uh, it was a pretty remarkable thing. And having gone to school uh, and gone to college in St. Louis, I had fond memories of that town. I had a lot of friends that still live there. Uh, so to be able to, to go back there was pretty fantastic. I worked with with Coach Hayes, um, you know, as the assistant to the head coach and then worked with uh, Trey Brown uh, and Jeff Bauer with all of our uh, scouting kind of front office leading up to the draft. Uh, drafting the entire roster in two days and then uh, and then working then on actually on defense as well with Jay Hayes our defense coordinator and a lot of the uh, installation of our defensive scheme and working with the defensive line specifically and so um, that was all crazy remarkable and exciting and it was um, a great opportunity and great people to be around Uh, my wife just laughed and said how much fun I was having and uh, and then you know uh, coronavirus you know, came down in, in you know, the beginning of the year and, and did end up shutting down our league and uh, ended to the ended it at, uh, for the time being. And uh, so I needed to, to find, you know, the, kind of what the next opportunity was going to be. And uh, our director of football operations uh, at Texas State uh, had been the equipment manager. He's now actually with the Jets, Zach Lucas, uh, had actually attended Westwood High School in, uh, in Austin. Um, and I got connected to the head coach, Anthony Wood. And, uh, we found an opportunity you know, without me having a teaching license, but I had to go through an alternative certification. And um, I'm still going through that process, but teaching uh, some math and coaching some football and basketball right now. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to do it, excited to, uh, you know, develop relationships and change lives in every different way and how that happens. You know, it's like DRCL, right? It's like Duracell, right? You the, the trust the power within you know, <laughs> the way the commercials used to be. And so there's a lot of power in relationships. And so I think that that's kind of the way I, I view uh, my world. Well, let's take a step back because there's an interesting time there where you get to be a part of two new leagues that, uh, you know, in, in one way or the other, they're doing some things differently. And I had the opportunity to talk with uh, Sam Schwartzstein here after the XFL shut down and some of the unique rules that uh, – you know, were put in place. But if you look at those two leagues, what was most exciting to you is maybe a, a future direction of the game and some of the changes you were seeing or things they had uh, done that 
you know, you never know if they'd have caught on mainstream or not. But uh, to you, that were, I guess, refreshing changes in the game. Yeah, I, I think both leagues, uh, as an outsider league, right, as someone who is uh, is not the corporation and uh, you know the behemoth that the NFL is, uh, it gives them a lot of flexibility to uh, maybe challenge the status quo to be able to. Uh, experiment a little bit. And I think that the process by which the XFL went about it, I think was really, uh, really good. And they built upon some things that we saw uh, in the AAF. I think the, you know, the, the sky judge uh, in the, in the AAF is uh, something that is, you know, was revolutionary and um, it's having an extra official that is, is up in the box and, why, why wouldn't you do that? Why, why are we still having an official on the field walk up to a monitor uh, under a hood and, and going through that replay process? Why don't we just have um, an additional uh, sky judge, someone who can actually review every play, who can see it from a different vantage point? You know, when you think about some of those uh, changes that the NFL has tried to implement, you know, about, you know, uh, pass interference or about targeting in college and professional football and about how those calls get made and challenged and reviewed. And, you know, now they're reviewing every touchdown and you know, scoring plays and change of possessions. And, you know, there's a lot of plays that are going to happen that are so influential to a result. Um, I thought that was a really, really positive uh, change that I think is going to take hold. You know, it's going to take a few years, but I think that is something that we will see across uh, the leagues. Uh, I really liked the onside kick uh, variety, uh, the way that we did it in the AAF, um, because there was no, there were no uh, kickoffs in the league, um, and rather than, you know, incentivizing. Uh, fair catches and touchbacks, which is what, you know, basically college football has done in the NFL, the way they've changed the formation to try to increase the safety. Um, you know, there's certainly things that, that they were doing to try to, uh, you know, they're changing the kickoff. Um, and so what the AF said, said, hey, let's just remove it. But when you do that, how do you come back at the end of the game? And so they said, hey, let's go for, uh, you know, have a fourth down. And, and have basically have them be able to play an offensive to the play. And so if, if you're, if you're behind and you're driving and to be able to go and you have some momentum, maybe, you know, you can, we can try to convert that. And I think that that's something that would not surprise me that if we, if we see that in the future, um, I just think that the, the collisions that we see in an onside kick, the scrum that always ensues, um, you know, there's there's something to be said for just removing that play from the game, um, and and that was kind of part of the way that uh, the rules committee in the XFL then approached it. They said, okay, most kickoffs in college and professional football are meaningless plays because most of them are are touchbacks, and so one of the things that they said was, okay, but we don't want to remove it like the AAF did because that doesn't look like football. And so that was how the how the kickoff formation change occurred uh, in, in the XFL, and so it's just a different a different process um, by trying to approach maybe the same problem. Um, I, I like the go forward on fourth idea for an onside kick. Um, I don't know 
if I'm sold on the XFL kickoff formation. Um, but we had uh, in St. Louis, we ran a reverse for a touchdown. So I guess I, I'm a, I should be big in favor of it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Joe, you know, shout out to Joe Powell. Um, but uh, it, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a lot of fun uh, to get to, to to be a part of it. Um, in the XFL, you know the the way the the shot clock, the way the uh, the, the the game flowed um, was a little bit quicker, and that was the idea to be able to finish our games uh, in a shorter amount of time. And I thought that was uh, really interesting. I think that the tiered um, uh, point after touchdowns because we did not kick extra points. So that was the, one of the big changes in the XFL, but it was tiered. So you could go for one, two or three. And it was interesting to see as the development during the year, um, how different organizations approached those, um, those post touchdown attempts. And, uh, it, it was just uh, it was different different philosophies and you know uh, because I'm a, a former I was a math major in college uh, I kind of enjoy some of the analytic kind of things in the world um, you know I was able to kind of go in with some math and sit down with our football people and you know we had conversations about maybe what are the the philosophy because you have to redo the chart that we've all had right. you know our, our our trusty go for two chart. Right. Well, you have to redo it because the go for two chart is based on the fact that the extra point is uh, depending on your kicker, but is 90 plus percent. You know, it's good. The extra point's supposed to be good. Well, all of a sudden, even if you're going from the two yard line, you know, that's not that's not a that's not a 90 percent play, you know, from and. uh you know, in college and professional football, and you look at two-point conversions, because that's what the two-point is, is, I mean, they're, they're, it's a lot closer to 50%, 47%. And so when uh, when we have to recalculate, okay, so when do we go for one, when do we go for two? And uh, so that was kind of a fun uh, preseason, you know, planning, and then that changes the way you practice too. Right. You know, because all of a sudden now, um, you know, that affects, all, all your scoring plays. Uh, the other thing too, is because of some of the kicking rule changes, the way that out of bounds uh, and touchbacks were treated on punts. Uh, you know, it was important to understand that there was not a benefit to cough and corner a kick and kick it out of bounds at the one, because that was basically like a touchback. And it was going to come back to the, um, I have to go back to the rules. I think the 35. Right. And so it was a, it was a, it was a big hit. And so, well, at what point they're changing the gopher zone, right? And as far as your football strategy, right? When, when are you going to go? When do you no go? And so it changes some of your philosophy. And so it changes how you practice. It changes how you practice third and medium because maybe third and medium isn't third and medium anymore because you're going to go for it on fourth. So you got more go for, four, go, go for it on fourth opportunities and things like that. So, and I think that was the goal of the rules committee in the XFL when they were making some of those changes because they wanted people to go. They wanted the excitement. They wanted the scoring. They want, uh, they want the, uh, the fan bases to be able to get, to get behind it. And I, w- I was so blessed to be a part of, you know, in the AAF with the top uh, attendance, you know, great support in San Antonio and then the XFL the top support, great support in St. Louis, um, both of those cities, unbelievable and um, both deserving of NFL clubs. 
and they, they've, they've shown it and, you know, they both had, had the opportunities maybe at some different point, you know, post Katrina, um, you know, New Orleans was playing in San Antonio and, uh, St. Louis obviously has the history with the, with the Rams. Um, so there's, uh, it's been, it's been pretty neat, but yeah, I think there's a couple rules and different avenues that can really, really, uh, carry over whether it's college or professional football, you know, the, even the overtime that we did in the XFL, which was more like a, uh, a soccer shootout or a hockey shootout. Um, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed because it removes some of the, uh, uncertainty from, you know, like the NFL overtime situation, but it also, um, you know, it puts, puts some pressure on you, you know, you're on the five yard line and you get one play, then they get one play. And, uh, and you're just going to go back and forth. And if you score your years and you put, put a couple buck points on the board, then um, you can get the win. So um, yeah. And I think, I think there's a couple things that as, as the game continues to evolve uh, leagues that are on the cusp that are on, maybe that are outsiders have the opportunity to really to challenge and, and push the envelope of, of what's possible and, and how to do, I mean, the player communication that we used in the XFL, the fact that every player was uh, on the uh, on the communication from the coaching sideline. I mean, when you watch uh, NFL games and we're getting down toward the end of a shot clock and you see that timeouts are forced or delay of games are forced, and it's all based on coach-to-player communication, you really see the benefits of instituting a system like we have. Um, there's certainly challenges, and we fought those challenges as well, but um, you know, there's opportunity uh, for the game to both decrease penalties, which no one wants to see, uh, increase the ease of communication, which all, every coach wants, uh, and, you know, allow uh, the players to be successful and perform on the field, which is what they're getting paid the big bucks to do. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it was a lot of fun to be a part of kind of the ground floor and to see how things were getting implemented and how we as a staff and organization made choices to, uh, to leverage those, you know, rules and, uh, and changes. Yeah, I know it was a lot of fun to watch and you know, hopefully those leagues come back. Cause I think it does, you know, give the opportunity for innovation. It's really hard to go to some of the, I guess, things that are just institution, right. And start to make those changes. Um, but to be able to see those done somewhere else where, uh, you know, everything's new, I think, was, was a great opportunity. Um, but, you know, it takes us to kind of the, the focus of this episode and something that's been big for you, the relationship side and networking. And, you know, uh, I think networking is just like anything else in this game. You need to work at it. Uh, you need to have a plan. Uh, and it takes time, probably more than anything else. It's easy to go out and learn a scheme and be able to implement that and get the details you know, the thing with, with relationships, those take time. So, you know, looking at it, coach, and the things you've done to develop your network, what advice do you have to uh, coaches out there who, you know, like you, uh, you know, you've wanted to move up in this game and um, continue to grow in this game. What would, what would you say to coaches out there as far as uh, best things they should do to network? Yeah, I I think that um, what, one of the things that's changed, you know, in the last decade, I guess, um, to, you know, 15 years that, you know, I've been in, in coaching that 
Um, the handwritten note um, has kind of gone by the wayside, um, even in recruiting where it was uh, it was a big, big deal. You know, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven years ago where, you know, maybe you'd write 100 letters to to a top recruit and and flood his uh, mailbox, um, you know, and you get the pictures of the, the top prospects in their bathtubs and all those kind of things. But, um, you know, so much has gone digital. So much is the edits that are being made on Twitter, the connections and communications that happen via social media, via direct message, via text message, that um, the time and commitment that it takes to write a note, that it takes to make a phone call. Um, it really, I think that's one of the things that has helped me um, strengthen some bonds with people um, over the years because uh, it is very easy to uh, to reach out um, to to people around a holiday, you know, to wish people a happy Thanksgiving, a happy Father's Day, obviously Christmas coming up this week, uh, New Year's, that you have the ability to uh, to reach out around those big holidays and, and wish people uh, and their families uh, a sweet new year and, and all those kind of things. Um, and, and that's nice. And, and it's great to, to get those texts and it's great to send them. Uh, but one of the things that Coach Tressel always did at Ohio State uh, at the beginning of every fall camp, we sat down the entire roster and they would, players would send thank you notes to their parents and to their high school coaches. And when you start talking about that, when you start talking about gratitude, an attitude of gratitude and thankfulness, and when your heart is full in, in that way, um, with the relationships and people who have maybe made things possible, because none of us got to where we are on our own. None of us have done it all uh, by ourselves. And so to have that gratitude, be able to sit down, to write a note, to say thank you, uh, to pick up the phone and actually dial, because uh, with that text message, you know, it, it happens in an instant, but with a phone call, you might have to commit yourself to to 10 to 20 to 30 to 60 to 90 minutes because that person is valuable and that person's input and connection and uh, that relationship is valuable and and so I love I love the opportunities that I get um, to to reach somebody out you know reach somebody on the phone and and see how everything's going I mean this year this fall uh, has been a challenge for so many people at every level and. Uh, to be able to connect with people, not just uh, to talk shop and see how their program is dealing with the challenges, but actually to see how they're doing, to see how their families are doing. Um, you know, talked uh, you know pretty regularly to some to some folks that I used to work with. Um, you know, and that's um, that's the point. You know, it's it, that's the point is to to stay in touch and to know how they're doing and how their families are doing to, to congratulate them on uh, a new grandchild or a new child on the way or a new house purchase. And those simple things, those easy things, um, but understand that you're staying, it's more, it's more than skin deep. It's not just um, that, that happy holiday that you can send to everybody. Uh, it's more direct, it's more personal. 
and anything you can do that you can personalize is always better. As, as you look at some of the key relationships you've made, um, you know, you've, you've mentioned how some of those have, have helped you out over time. You know, how have those, I guess, developed uh, beyond that surface level for you as, as you look at just the process and, you know, these guys, you know, we could all go into this and, and start pinpointing, oh, this guy could help me out if I knew him or that guy. But, you know, it really doesn't work that way. Um, I can't remember who I had on, on the podcast uh, a little while back when we were talking about it. You know, it's and networking isn't about, um, you know, what somebody else can do for you. It's about what you can do for someone else. So in that regard, how do you look at uh, how these relationships have been able to help both you and, you know, the, the other person? Yeah, I, I, again, I think relationships, because they, I think they go in every direction, right? They could be relationships with someone who hires you, right? And those, those are great. Um, but a lot of them are those relationships with your coworkers. And how do you treat people? You know, how do you treat people every day? When you go into the office and, and you know, you work at a staff of, you know, five to 10 to, to 20 to 30 people, how do you treat them? And how do you treat um, you know, maybe the executive assistants, how do you treat the janitors? How do you treat the food service workers? Uh, it's the same things that we look at with recruits and you try to uh, determine what kind of young man someone is by how they treat those that maybe don't have direct influence over them is the same way I think about my coworkers is how, what do they do when no one's looking? How, how are they treating people that um, maybe they don't have to be nice to? That they, you know, they don't have to, um, you know, work their tail off at building that. And so I think those relationships are huge. And that's why when you, this year has obviously been so, so traumatic, but uh, to not be able to, to go have meals in the same way like you would as a staff. You know, when, when in St. Louis, uh, our defensive staff every single week would go to um, this uh, place called Big A's on the riverfront and we would get wings and I'm still getting texts from, you know, our staff and we're sending pictures. Hey, Hey, what wings you got tonight? I mean, cause it's wing night, you know, it's it, it, cause it was such an institution for what we were doing and it was an opportunity for us to be together and uh, to continue to just to get to know each other. And, and it's not just, you know, the people maybe that you, work with, right? So it could be the guy who's hiring you, it could, you know, and a boss, it could be th those that you work with kind of in that lateral level, but it's also those, those younger people and people maybe that work for you is, you know, how, what are you doing to help make them better? And, you know, one of the young men who used to work for me just got a director of football operations at San Jose state. And I'm on the phone immediately sitting there trying to, to, to congratulate him, get excited for him because what an amazing opportunity, um, you know, that, that Tanner has, um, Tanner Schulteis. Um, and so, you know, when you, when you talk with those guys, every time you have an open job, your network is increasing. Cause if you have an open job on your staff and you're interviewing people, that's an opportunity to meet new people and connect into their networks. Every time there's a job that you interview for, right. That you, even if that job is not the right for, time for you, even if it's not the right time for that staff to hire you, you have the opportunity that, you know, every day is an interview. And so, um, you know, I've stayed in touch with a number of people at places where I didn't take jobs. And, you know, that's, that's big too. 
you know, because, you know, when this uh, came down this year and the XFL folded, I reached out to some of those people, some of those people that were head coaches and maybe weren't a position to hire um, because I needed something. You know, this year it, it was different. And, um, you know, to be able to reach out to head coaches across the country in college, in high school, and there were people that from all sorts of different places, you know, from places from, um, you know, people I met in Kearney, Nebraska, or, you know, people that I met, you know, back in, in Athens, Ohio, it doesn't matter that, you know, it's amazing how the, this whole world all spins. Um, and so, you know, I think every opportunity you take, it, the, obviously this past summer, uh, summer camps didn't exist. Uh, um, I don't know what this coming summer is going to look like as far as recruiting camps and, and all that goes, but, you know, those opportunities, those are uh, incredible opportunities to get around college staff. If you're looking to, to, you know, to travel into that realm, if you're looking to increase your network amongst college coaches, because they college coaches get to see you coach because you don't get to see that in the recruiting game. You don't get to see that um, just over the phone or at a convention. And so being able to see a college or say a high school guy or a small college guy coach um, to be able to, see what he knows, see how he interacts with young people, um, how he treats them, how he coaches them, because uh, that matters. And, and, and so all those things, those opportunities are huge. And, and then when I go to AFCA, and this is something that I picked up from Shat Boyd, the head coach at Erskine College in South Carolina, is uh, you know, when I go to convention at AFCA, obviously this year is virtual. It's going to be another different uh, kind of year, but um, it Going to the X's nose talks are great, um, but but I know how to run power. You know, I I I, I I've already seen that one. I've already seen duo. I already I already know uh, what routes I like versus cover two and cover three and cover four. I'm good. You know, there, occasionally there might be something that's special and different, but it, it the scheme stuff's only so useful. I want to hear your coaching cues. I want to hear what you're saying to get your players to to do what they, they're doing, because maybe you've got one that I, I'd like to steal, right? That, that can benefit. Uh, I want to go hear the big program talks. I want to hear some of the, your leadership and and uh, culture kind of conversations because those things are enduring. Uh, but I want to find as many opportunities as I can to connect with people that I don't see very often, that I don't talk to enough, and uh, that maybe I can get introduced to somebody new and have a meal or have a drink with somebody, whether it's, you know, whether it's coffee in the morning, whether it's uh, maybe a different kind of beverage later in the evening, but to be around people and actually to spend some real quality time, because again, that's where when you say, how do you get beyond that surface level? Well, it's not sitting next to them taking notes at a conversation about power. It's not that that's not where I'm going to get to know you. And and so finding those opportunities and to be able to connect with um, old coworkers and friends because we all spread out all over the place, you know, you know, and, and that's and that's what a great thing, you know, guys that I uh, that were even guys that are GAs with say at at Ohio I was there for six years, so guys I GA with, and then guys when I was full time that were our GAs. I mean, that's the tight end coach at Ohio. That's the uh, office coordinator at Iowa Western. That's the linebacker coach at Youngstown State. That's the 
uh, O-line coach at Emporia State. I mean, uh, the, you know, the, I think he's the defensive coordinator at NEO uh, Junior College up in Miami, uh, Oklahoma. I mean, th- all these guys that were student assistants that were uh, GAs and young guys that were around us at the same time. And to be able to see, you know, where that net network goes, but, you know, you never know how wide someone's net is. And, and so when I talk about how you treat every day, like an interview and you're in the office, well, if you're a jerk, you don't even know how many levels I can reach out to, to connect with somebody to help or hurt your future. And, and that's, and, and that's huge. Just understand that um, being a good person really matters. I couldn't agree with you more coach. And thinking of those, it is one thing I think we're all going to miss this year, you know, being in Nashville and uh, all, all the other stuff that goes on. I mean, I can, I can honestly admit there's, there's years I may not have even walked in one of the doors, you know, that most of the time was spent out in the hallway or, um, you know, at a restaurant or a bar and, and, you know, you have those opportunities to network are huge. So I think now it's a challenge. It's a different time. I think though the availability of somebody, it's a little bit easier, both of you maybe to carve out 15, 20, 30 minutes to be able to sit down with somebody and uh, learn something from them. And it got me to thinking about, um, you know, the, the place we are sometimes younger as younger coaches in our career and you have that opportunity maybe to meet somebody up who is is maybe higher up than than you are right now and a, a place you want to be and, and certainly if you connected with that person it might be some opportunities that uh, I've seen this I remember specifically taking a young coach of mine to uh, a coach's clinic at a college and you know knew the offensive coordinators in FBS school knew the offensive coordinator there well and you know instead of uh, you know asking questions and learning and absorbing you know it, it, he felt like he had to show this coach what he knew and I, I feel like you know you're not going to necessarily impress that older coach by trying to tell him how much you know you're going to impress that older coach by asking good questions by showing that uh, you're absorbing what they're doing by you know being able to be engaging in, in the conversation it's not about I'm going to show you how much I know because for the most part, they really don't care. They're going to teach you what you need anyway. But are you going to be able to learn? Are you that guy who's who's hungry to learn and listen and um, be engaged? I think that's something you have to look at as well. That you know, especially when you're that younger coach, maybe talking to that that guy who's been around for a while, and you have that opportunity. Uh, you don't want to make that mistake. Well, and the, the old adage that you know you've got two ears and one mouth, and there's a reason. You know, yeah. listen twice as much as you speak. And um, you you see that with a lot of young men at, uh, at conventions. And like I said, you're in that clinic, listen to somebody block power, and, and you get somebody stand up and tell you how they block power. Well, it, that, you're not the speaker here today. It's not That's not what it's about. Um, I want to hear, you know, how are they making the adjustments when they get nine in the box, you know, um, because those things matter. But, uh you know, I, I, you make a really great point is that with uh, with pandemic, with coronavirus in 2020, as, as much as it has changed our lives, um, as much as it has uh, removed some of us from our personal interactions that we're used to and the way that we are used to connecting, it has changed the way people approach work from home. 
It has changed the way people, uh, you know, we didn't know, most people didn't use Zoom or Microsoft Teams or all these different uh, applications that are coming out. You know, they didn't know what GoToMeeting was and, and all these different things uh, nine months ago because it wasn't part of everyone's vernacular. And what has happened through some great leaders, people like Alonzo Carter at San Jose State with the uh, West Coast Zoom clinics, uh, you know, when uh, you, you had a lot of clinic and a lot of chalk talks happening all summer uh, through, uh, through all these virtual means. Um, it also with combined, you know, with the social reckoning that uh, happened uh, over the death of George Floyd, that you saw the creation of the MCAA, um, which I'm a member of, um, and then also the uh, the coalition, National Coalition of Minority Football Coaches, which I'm a member of. Um, and you see that there are opportunities um, and organizations that are here for the advancement uh, of other coaches that, that maybe have been deprived of those opportunities as well. Those are, again, what are they? They're opportunities to connect. There are opportunities uh, to network, but it's also uh, an opportunity to, to just continue to learn and, and be around great people. Um, because, again, that's ultimately uh, what we're all looking to do. Absolutely. Well, Coach, you shared some great stuff with us. It was great to catch up with you here on the podcast. And as always, I love uh, watching what our guests do and how you move around this profession and um, you know, I, I know certainly you feel blessed with uh, what you've been able to do, and it's not over. Uh, the the uh, journey continues. So, again, thank you for taking the time and joining us again. Hey, it was an absolute pleasure. Uh, can you take care, and I wish you the best. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five-star for a rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast. Check out our new home for the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. That's at coachandcoordinator.com. And follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.